Constantinople has fallen, and all across Europe, ancient vampires known as Methuselah rise to claim vast territories as their own. This is the War of Princes, where the political maneuvering of old stand side by side with the armies of ghouls and canines clashing in the night. But vampires are not the only ones making this land their own. In the wild places, the Guru have their cairns. Mages have ancient sites of power for magic. The Shadow Inquisition has risen to eradicate the enemies of God. And the enigmatic Fae have their own plans. Welcome to the Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 12 of season 2 of the World of Dark Ages podcast, going through the second edition of the Dark Ages setting. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, summer's getting close. How's Sweden? Sweden is getting summery. Uh, we've we've had some rain, which is good, because that means that hopefully half the country won't burn down again. Uh, and at the time of the release of this episode, I will have... Uh, checked off uh, another thing on my bucket list, which is I think is kind of cool. Uh, I don't know if you have the same kind of uh, traditions in Denmark, but here in Uppsala, when uh, when when the uh, academical doctors are are getting their their doctor's degree and they have a ritual uh, where they accept the diploma and the, the ring and. Uh, everything is in very bad Latin in in one of the <laughs> university halls uh, because it's of course it has to be Latin because that's the way it's been for the last hundreds of years. Uh, and also, what they do is that uh, they bring in some actual guns, and I'm talking 75 millimeter uh, military cannon uh, oh. to to fire salutes for uh, each of the doctors, uh, and also at seven o'clock in the morning to wake the city up to uh, to greet the, the newly uh, promoted doctors. Uh, so through my many contacts, I've I've managed to to get myself involved in that. So I'm I'm actually going to help uh, firing the cannon, uh, which is kind of a cool thing. And uh, I've been wanting to do it for for many years. So and I am never getting a doctorate either. So this is as close <laughs> as to that <laughs> that I'm gonna get. Uh, so it's yeah, like if. Other countries have like much cooler doctorate traditions than Denmark. In Sweden, you fire cannons, and in in Finland, they get swords. It's um, yeah, we don't have anything like that, unfortunately. Mm. So yeah, and that probably explains a lot about Denmark. <laughs> yeah, we are we we no cannons, no swords. We're just peaceful. Um, yeah, we've we've had some rain as well, but it's it's warming up. And if I sound like I have a cold, it's not because I have a cold. It's because my hay fever is running amok. Um, yeah, I, I just woke up sneezing today. My my eyes are a little red. It's just it's annoying as hell. Um, but them them's the breaks. Apparently, there's a lot of um, of pollen in the air these days. Um, so the book we're covering today is what was supposed to be the last of the quote-unquote supernatural race books, uh, which and which is Dark Ages Werewolf, um, or at least we're covering the first half of it. Uh, however, as we'll see later, they decided to do one more, which I'm quite happy about. Uh, that was Dark Ages Fae. Anyway, this book is written by a lot of people. Gavin Bennett, Bjorn T. Boo, Ali Chilson, Ben Grivno, Heather Grove, Harry Heckel, Heather Heckel, Shannon W. Hennessy, Ellen P. Keeley, James Keeley, Carrie Ann Lewis, Christopher M. Michel, Matthew J. Rook, and it is developed by Matthew McFarland. Um, so, Peter, how much of a werewolf gamer are you? Uh, not very much. I've played a few games uh, of, of modern-day werewolf, and 
I'm I'm trying to remember if I've actually looked even looked at at the Dark Ages books, and I, I don't think I have actually. So uh, yeah, it's ne never really been my thing. Okay, so this is uh, this is almost virgin territory for me. Um, my wife uh, is a huge werewolf fan, and she's run quite a bit of werewolf, including one of the greatest campaigns that I've ever been a player in, which was a Dark Age, sorry, a Werewolf the Wild West campaign. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I I know something about it. I've I've run some werewolf as well. So for me, it's it's I'm I don't know it as well as I know vampire, but. I know it more than I know Mage and, uh, well, Dark Ages Inquisitor didn't have much to do with Hunter, so uh, I couldn't draw on any experience there. Um, so let's look at the cover. It is in the style of the other core books that have gone before it, this time the background being green leaves, and the symbol on the front is a necklace of teeth and claws. Nothing special here. I think it works fine, but I would have loved to have either the claw marks from the original Werewolf book or something similar, like how the Werewolf the Wild West book had a bullet hole through the entire book. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, I, I remember, wasn't it the first edition of, uh, of Werewolf that actually had like claw marks through the cover of the book? I think it was both first and second edition. I can't remember, but yeah, yeah. definitely first edition where you where the the cover itself, this thick cardboard stock, was was penetrated by claw marks, which was just such a cool idea. Yeah, that's that's just a cool thing to do. Uh, and of course, this is again we mentioned it previ previously that at at the time of the publishing of this book, we're deep into Photoshop territory, so. Uh, it's it's just a Photoshop necklace on a Photoshop background, uh, which again it, it works fine. But it I, I just it, it it I wouldn't call it nostalgia, but it's it's very um, it dates the book very much, which is kind of fun. Uh, at least if you were there and you can kind of like oh yeah that that was how things were done back then. Everything was photoshopped and and bad CGI, even if the bad CGI was was worse than anything else. Uh, so. <laughs> so the interior art, we don't have Ron Spencer, which is sad because he's one of my absolute favorite World of Darkness artists. But uh, I really, really like the art in the first half, especially the big pieces between the chapters. I'm uh, sure some of them have a bit of a fantasy feel, especially the first one on page four, where you have a, a woman bit? dressed like a fantasy barbarian. But in general, I think this is some of the best interior art. On page 48, you have a very nice-looking church in the background, and on page 76, the castle in the background looks very period-appropriate. So in general, you know, I, I really like the interior art here. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, it's like you said, it's it's very much fantasy-ish, and I I do have some just I, I don't know things that irks me uh, because they really don't make any sense. But uh, for example, the uh, the great claves, the, the yeah. huge swords that the huge silver swords that that the werewolf run around with don't really make any sense because they have this strange kind of I don't know how to describe it, claws or, or pointy things sticking out uh, here and there on the blades, which doesn't really make any sense, and and they don't really look good either. They look more kind of like, if if you take the kind of uh, cheap, decorative, um, heavy metal daggers and blades that you saw bands pose with on covers <laughs> during the 1980s, and then you make them a bit more fantasy, that's 
that's basically what it looks like to me. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I like the feel of the art. Um, there is one guy, uh, one of the... Uh, I think it's the Fiana um, example character, or, or what it's supposed to look like, who is... He's he's wearing something that could actually be uh, a gambeson yeah. or a nakaton or a, a quilted uh, quilted cloth armor. Uh, unfortunately, they then kind of ruin it by giving him these weird studs on on his short sleeved tunic, which doesn't. Well, they really could make just be sense. decorative, you know, uh, showing off his wealth. Yeah, yeah, but again, you really didn't have mm. decorative studs like that on on. Clothes basically because it's well, well, you you did it for for some reason or another, and and yeah, it, it just looks weird. Um, and and the kind of <laughs> t shirt tunic that is uh, that shows up here and there, not only in this book but in, in other books as well, yeah, they're great for showing off your your werewolf uh, biceps, but you really didn't have that kind of uh, outfits, uh, especially not during this period. Uh, later on in the 14th century, you, you had like an, an uh, I don't really know how to describe it, but it kind of like uh, an over, not really an overcoat, but like you had your uh, a thinner inner uh, woolen uh, doublet, and then over that, just to show off a bit, you could have an extra one, and then you could have short sleeves on that one on the top layer to show off. Uh, the the sleeves on the one you would wear underneath it, uh, but I haven't seen anything showing that people would run around with with the kind of short sleeves that show off your bare arms. Uh, there are some pictures of of people working or hunting and stuff like that where they're taking their long sleeves and kind of rolled them up to, uh, uh, I guess for for either for because it's really warm or because they want to get rid of them when they're like. Mm-hmm actually working uh but but not the kind of t-shirt things uh because yeah. that's and then we have the um, which is i think the sample character for the waters of men uh who has a somewhat weird staff it has a large metal hoop or ring at the end with three smaller metal rings interlocked into it which gives me a kind of of more eastern asian vibe to it than anything european uh, it's it's something that not that I know much about it, but I would not complain if I saw it in the hands of some kind of of monk from from the east. But uh, it it, it yeah, doesn't really yeah. match anything I know of in Europe. Of course, it could be some kind of werewolf cultural artifact. I don't know. They they have a bit more leeway here. <laughs> As always, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we start with true. the intro story. And it illustrates the idea of leadership and challenges among the Guru. The framing of it was a bit confusing. And as for the challenge, well, it involves two challenges staring into the fi- into a fire and the loser is the first to look away. But then the can is attacked and the current leader looks away to issue orders. And then his challenger claims victory. Except everyone agrees that a true leader is one who cares about the Cairn. And this reminds me a lot of a story from a Terry Pratchett book called Lords and Ladies. I don't know if you've read that one. I haven't actually read that particular one, but I've read a, a lot of Pratchett books. Yeah, but in, in that one, I, I should say, I'm, I don't want to accuse anyone of, of plagiarism. Uh, Lords and Ladies was written in 1996. This book is from 2003. So 
possibly it's it's a case of uh, uh, what do you call it uh, convergent evolution or maybe the person who wrote this story had read lords and ladies and just didn't you know had forgotten about this and were inspired by it but in that story you you have the the main one of the main characters from from the Terry Pratchett witches books books uh, who is a witch <laughs> and and she gets into a witch challenge with another witch they have to stare at the sun and then a young child is hurt and she looks away to help the young child and then the other witch claims victory but the entire village says no a true witch is someone who will help a child so it, it's it's very very similar and I don't know uh, how it came about but yeah it, it was just the first thing I thought of when I read the story mm, yeah uh, well it's uh, yeah of course you can always be inspired by stuff and and you you have other things that are are clearly clearly inspiration for some of the stuff so uh, and and of course if you're gonna do an homage to anyone Terry Pratchett is is a really cool guy to do it to oh so. yes um what what but you know the thing was when as soon as i thought about this that that kind of made it difficult for me to really think about anything else as i read the story so uh. what's your what's your take on the intro story since you you you're not colored by this terry Pratchett story yeah well i yeah i, I think it was okay it's it's kind of um i wouldn't call it over the top but it it feels kind of of stereotypical almost and it it might just be that this kind of like gotcha challenge twist uh, has been around for for quite some time so it's um i i wasn't really surprised by how things turned out that that in the end the wise old leader managed to outwit the the young up, upstart uh, that that was kind of a given uh, but I, I think it was uh, okay written, or very even better than I was. It was fairly good written, and and um, it, it wasn't too too silly or or too like let's have the the werewolf be too much of a Hollywood creation or anything like that. Um, it's it, it's a bit messy, like. They they mention a bunch of things uh, and and phrases and uh, different tribe names, for example, that you don't really have any idea of what they are because those kinds of things come later in the book. So <laughs> uh, so if you don't know anything about werewolf society and then you read this, then you're probably not going to have an easy time figure out who's who um, and. Like the name is this the name of a werewolf or is it the name of a tribe or is it the the title of a position in the pack or or what what is it? Uh, so so from that point of view, it was it, I, I can see that it can be a bit confusing, but overall I still liked it. Yeah. So uh, and next you know comes the intro, which no surprise introduces us to the concept of werewolf i think they managed to strike a good balance here between given enough information while still keeping it relatively short there's the standard theme and mood lexicon etc and yeah i don't really have anything to stay here no no i i agree and and again you you get the lexicon here which actually mentions a few of the terms and and phrases that were in the intro intro story so uh, you might have needed to read the, the lexicon before <laughs> before reading the introduction. So. Yeah, that's that's always the problem with intro stories because they kind of it, it's difficult not to use concepts 
from the book in the intro story but if people don't know anything about the concept then they're going to be thoroughly confused yeah and and you could always do like instead of of using the uh the the title the werewolf title for say the war leader or for the for the judge just call them the 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 judge of the tribe or whatever instead of philodox mm. or things like that just just to ease it uh, make it easier for for us noobs basically <laughs> so chapter one goes in depth with werewolves their society and how they fit into the world and and so on it in the sort of mood setting intro to this chapter they make the common mistake of saying that bandits wait along the roads at night to ambush travelers and as we've said many times before no they didn't since people didn't travel at night so it's it's like um there's a um probably apocryphal story about a journalist asking oh, what's his name uh jesse james i think it was why do you rob banks and he said well because that's where the money is yeah. and so you wouldn't have bandits watching over the roads at night because people didn't travel at night because you didn't have uh, artificial light to help you and stuff like that so it's it's a small thing but it's it's something that has become i think prevalent in how a lot of people view the middle ages is that ooh the roads were dangerous to travel at night because there were bandits no the roads were da- dangerous to travel at night because you couldn't see what you were doing yeah yeah and what's interesting is that uh if if you like read stories about bandits and highwaymen uh, a very common uh, theme is is that uh, the travelers are seeking lodgings uh, at like a farmer or at an inn perhaps uh, and then someone there there will will kind of betray them or or run away and and warn the robbers that hey tomorrow some travelers are going to pass by here so then you can attack them so so the 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 bandits wouldn't be out just watching the road they would probably be at home doing like farming or whatever they would do at their their everyday job and then when the opportunity comes then they would drop people so yeah exactly and and it the makes romans, a lot more sense that way uh, the romans actually uh, in many cases removed trees from the side of their roads so that it was more difficult for bandits to hide there so obviously they they realized that well during the day the bandits could hide in in thick brush or in trees so in in some cases they would trim back the trees and the brush for uh, a couple of meters so that it was more difficult for for bandits to hide but we've we've been as sometimes happens a bit sidetracked um the first part of the chapter explains what the guru are where they come from their culture and society history the tribes their enemies and all those things that is needed to understand the characters that you will be playing in the game the game shows its age by stating that werewolves have taken the idea of a pack alpha from wolves something that research have shown is actually wrong but this was a commonly accepted fact at the time that it was written so you know it's understandable that they repeat it one thing i like under enemies is where they mentioned something called the flaying plague which is a disease that is affecting werewolves and it it's set up to be one of the the major plot points and um they say that it has literally decimated the guru of europe and as someone who knows roman history we both know what decimated (laughs) actually meant right yeah yeah we do we do because there's a lot of people who will say decimated to mean 
like killed almost everyone. But yeah. but it comes from the Latin word for ten. Yeah. And it was a punishment used in the Roman legions where if a legion had done something really terrible, they would be decimated, which meant every tenth person would be killed. So when they say by the, flame... the other nine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So when they say the flame plague has literally decimated the guru of Europe, what they mean is one tenth of them has died. So if you don't, it, it, it's kind of funny if you don't know what decimated means, if you go with what people tend to think it means, you will think that it's killed like 75% or more, but no, yeah. it, it, it has actually killed one tenth of them. So I love that they, that they use the correct um, terminology for decimated. Yeah, yeah. But in the end, I think that this part of the chapter, it does a good job of explaining a rather broad and complex topic. I don't know how many people would come to this book not knowing the guru from Modern Day Werewolf, um, which has numerous source books expanding on the law. And the settings are similar enough that anyone wanting to know more can use the modern material. Um, one thing that they mention is how people with true, true faith are a danger to the guru because they can nullify gifts and force a werewolf to transform into their native form. Um, and I, I took a look uh, later in the book where they talk about in Inquisitors and I took a look at the um, uh, Dark Ages vampire book where they have the rules for, for true faith and there's no system given for um, how true faith interacts with werewolves. And uh, I, I think if they're going to mention that, they, they should tell us, well, how much true faith do you have to have to do that or what do you have to roll or, or whatever. But that, that's just one minor complaint here. Otherwise, I, I think they did a good job. But as someone who knows less about werewolf than me, what, what do you think, they, how good a job did they do explaining werewolf, especially in the, in the Dark Ages setting? I, I think they did a really good job. Uh, and one of the things I really liked was uh, the, the kind of chapter introduction where they have a um, a Christian werewolf uh, kind of explaining how you can keep your faith in in the Christian God, even though you've turned into a werewolf. And and it's, it's very cleverly written, both uh, from both the actual character... Uh, and and how he kind of not not tricks but kind of how how he uh, in a, in basically a philosophical talk brings in Christianity um, and how that makes sense even though uh, there uh, everyone now is is uh, a a demonic beast uh, <laughs> more or less uh, which I liked uh, and it's in in general this chapter. Uh, is quite the opposite of us because it doesn't waste words. It, it's <laughs> very much straight to the point, and uh, and it, it gives us what we need to to know things. Like you have the different uh, the the short introductions to um, to the different tribes of the werewolf and uh, and the auspices and and things like that, um, and uh, and and kind of the background. Uh, of when you first change into werewolf, uh, they they do have kind of a tongue in cheek uh, version of of Little Red Riding Hood, yeah. where where she is actually the wolf, uh, and and um, she eats grandma. Uh, so um, yeah, I don't I don't know that that felt. I I like it because it's funny, but it's. Um, in in a way, it kind of 
ruins the mood because you you have this book where it's supposed to be uh, these kind of epic heroes fighting an almost losing battle for for nature more or less and then you have this uh, rather silly again it's funny but it's it's still also very silly uh, little red riding hood story in the middle of it yeah my, my attitude towards it was exactly the same i was like i don't really know what to think about this because <laughs> i think it's a very well done story of putting little red riding hood on its head but like you said it, it feels a bit inappropriate for for the rest of it but it was yeah it, it was well written i'll say yeah yeah i i agree with that um one one thing in general uh, that I I like um, is uh, or, or rather let, let's put it this way the the one of the fun things about this game is that it's it's very much a a combination of the Hollywood myth of of werewolves and 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 just the general um, the the historical myths uh, and. I don't think that a lot of people really know that much about the historical werewolf myths because they are uh, it's they're, they're quite different from both Hollywood and from this role-playing game, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But but um, the the whole um, kind of half man half wolf shape that werewolf turns into. Uh, that really doesn't have any basis in uh, in in history or his quote unquote historical accounts of werewolves. Uh, usually, werewolves are uh, people turning into wolves. They aren't people turning into to this half wolf thingy, uh, and very seldom are there packs of werewolves. It's it's mm. very often a person. Yeah. Uh, in in Greek mythology, for example, it's it's not uncommon that someone is is cursed to become a wolf, uh, and if they manage to, and and then they go and live with the actual animal wolves, uh, and if they manage to um, live with them for ten years, is quite a common number that pops up uh, without eating human flesh, then they kind of pass the test and they are allowed to turn back into. Um, in, into their human forms. Uh, in in Swedish folklore, there are quite common that uh, there are people either using it as as magic. Uh, they, they quite common have magic belts, uh, often mm. use, uh, often made from the back skin of a hanged person, uh, and they use that to transform into a, a wolf. Again, not not this half breed form, but an actual wolf. Uh, or they have been cursed by someone. Um, I, I read as kind of research for this uh, for this story. It was a uh, the the original story was written down in the 1770s, uh, and it's about how a wedding was uh, visited by unwanted guests, and when uh, people tried to make the unwanted guests leave. Uh, they would curse some of the men uh, to become wolves and then they would run around. Uh, and uh, later on, uh, a few of the people uh, who had been turned into wolves would be uh, uncursed, 
by giving them their or telling them their Christian names, which would break the curse. So again, mm. it's it's not a permanent thing; it's a thing that can be broken. Uh, but but what really got me about this this story is that again, it was it was written in uh, or or it was written down in the 1770s by a person who would go around and and collect these stories, uh, and he got it from a. Um, uh, an, an old woman who was in her 70s and claimed that she had been at a, the wedding when she was nine. And, and the person, the, the chronicler writing it down, uh, says, uh, again, it's, it's such a wonderful example of, of um, how to critique your source material. Because he says that, well, and, and this fine, honorable woman would obviously have no reason to lie about this so obviously everything is true and and it's kind of like yeah we we hopefully have a better set of of standard when it's come to comes to evidence nowadays but it it's still a fun story but yeah, you bring up a good point because I think a lot of people are more familiar with historical especially old historical so what can we say sources or stories of mm. vampires than they are about werewolves yeah so so and i think when you talk about this this wolfman shape i'm sure that there are earlier examples of it but the earliest example i can think of is from stephen king's uh, cycle of the werewolf a relatively short especially by stephen king standards book where if i recall i i'm fairly certain that the um that the werewolf in that book turns into this wolfman shape but but yeah you're right when i think of historical uh, examples of werewolves i i think of stories of them turning into either ordinary wolves or big wolves this this yeah. wolfman shape is i think but possibly i'm wrong i think this is a a more more modern i idea and it shows up in in more modern like stories in Hollywood and stuff like that. Yeah, from from what I can tell, it's it's actually a um, a result of of early Hollywood movies, uh, because you you had the the mummy and you had the vampires and you had uh, Frankenstein's monster, and those are are fairly easy to make on a big oh. screen because you just put a guy in a suit. Uh, but and especially in the nineteen thirties. Uh, when, when, well, you didn't really have any safety laws when it comes <laughs> when it comes to film production. So from that point of view, it wasn't necessarily a problem. Uh, but if you wanted someone to act the werewolf, you would need like the kind of half form. Uh, so you would have a basically a hairy person with uh, with a mask and and claws, mm. um, which which again kind of makes sense. But but yeah, from a historical point of view, I haven't really found anything. Uh, again, it's it's more the, the shape shifting, um, and and in some cases the the myths about werewolves and vampires kind of overlap because it's the kind of yeah. uh, Dracula famously turns into a wolf, uh, and uh, there are other uh, stories about like the uh, people turning into wolves and drinking blood of children, for example, or eating children, um, and e- even. Even later on, when when you kind of had this, um, not a werewolf craze, but there, there was for a time, uh, actually quite a long time, where people would be accused of uh, of being werewolves, uh, and often they were uh, murderers or even serial killers. Uh, one of the most famous one was a a German called uh, Peter or Peter Stump because. 
Uh, apparently he had his uh, left hand cut off and the wolf shape of him also had uh, it was also missing his left paw uh, and that was as a side note uh, to the side note uh, it was often a sign of how you would know that someone was a werewolf like if you um, if you fought a wolf and you managed to to cut it and then the day after uh, one of the people in the village would have um, a, a similar um, wound then you know that that person was was a werewolf um, yeah. but it's it's kind of like the the whole witches thing is in that uh, on the one hand you would accuse them of being a werewolf or a witch because they've done some horrible crime but also and this I think is is kind of interesting sometimes uh, people are uh, or they 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 themselves claim to be werewolves uh, and and you have one example from the late uh, 1690s I think it is where you have a person who claims to be a werewolf uh, or rather that he turns into a wolf with some of his friends and then they go into hell to fight the demons of Satan Uh, Mm. and he was put on trial basically for this uh, but he was convicted of superstition because, come on, no one in the 1690s really believed that you can turn into a werewolf. What <laughs> kind of silliness is that? Now we're going to whip you and throw you out of the village for being silly. Uh, so so just like you have with witches, at, at some points it's actually bad to be a witch. But in other times it's just seen as um, as a superstition. Uh, I don't know. I just find it's kind of interesting that that in in the so-called dark medieval times or the later on, people were still sane enough to to realize these things and and actually have de- like not not actual debates about it, but but kind of f- thinking like, is it really? Does it actually make sense that people can turn into wolves? No, not really. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, like there was an idea in certain places in Eastern Europe that it, when a werewolf was killed, if the body wasn't destroyed, they would then rise as a vampire. So there's a connection there as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so you have a lot of uh, or or a revenant, which is basically the same thing. So you have yeah. a lot of of overlap, which I think is is very interesting. Mm. So the second part of the chapter deals with mainly Europe. There's a little mention of North Africa and the Holy Land, but it focuses mostly on Christian Europe. Uh, The page count means that it has to be brief, which is always uh, sad, but I think, like you said, they managed to do a good job with what they have, and I think they do a really good job of explaining how the Guru interact with mortal lands. One weird thing is in the chapter, uh, or sorry, the the section on Norway, where they mention that a pack of Fenrir werewolves have managed to defeat an ancient vampire known as the All High. However, the All High, he is a, a, a character from from Vampire, and he's always been associated with Uppsala in Sweden. Uh, and while while his backstory yeah. does mention that he fought the Fenrir, it's never mentioned that they defeated him. I, and I mean, you know, usually you can you can do different things in different games, but these games are set up in Dark Ages to all interact and overlap, so it's it's just a minor mistake here, uh, in in my opinion. Yeah, it would probably make more sense that the Swedish werewolves were the one, one who fought him, but but yeah, it's uh, it's a bit weird. Um, I yeah, in in general, I like this chapter, except for the fact that uh, 
it's it has a bit of a feel of the the whole uh, dark Scandinavia and it's always the midnight sun and everything is just a big forest which in a way it it was um, but uh, something that um, disappointed me a bit was the fact that they uh, well they actually do mention Finland but they mention it in the passing and saying that that um, that Latvia is south of Finland but they haven't had that that's the only mentioning of Finland in the entire book. Of course, Finland at this point was more or less a part of Sweden. Uh, but when it comes to which werewolves live where, uh, that's an interesting sentence for, <laughs> for a non-English uh, native speaker. Um, I really think that, first of all, it, it really makes sense that there would be werewolves in, in Finland because you, like... That's basically all forest, and then you have a few settlements or and and, and a bunch of lakes around the coast. Um, yeah, and lots of lakes. Uh, so so it's very much the the kind of untouched nature that werewolves like. Uh, but also uh, you have the tribe, and we're gonna talk more about the tribes later on. But but you have one of the tribes called the Fiana, which is. Uh, they're, they're very much the, the kind of uh, stereotype of, of uh, Gaelic or Irish uh, warrior poets. Uh, and, and it's mentioned that they, they drink and fight a lot. Uh, and they have an oral tradition. And I'm just thinking like, well, you have fighting, alcoholism and oral traditions. Uh, that's, <laughs> that could be Finland as well, because the... The, the great epic Kalevala, which was written down in the 1800s, that was an oral tradition from hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. So, And Fianna almost sounds like Finland, if you want to do one of the silly modern American kind of connections between stuff. Uh, but but yeah, I, I really would like to see werewolves in Finland and the tribe that would make sense would be the Fianna with with their kind of drinking and fighting. Yeah. Uh, so mm. that, that's well, and just me, obviously you know you you have the um uh what's it called the dark ages europe source book if people want to have a source book that goes in depth in with with more of the um the lands of course that focuses also on on vampires yeah. um so if if yeah. the dark ages line had gone on then maybe there would have been a source book going into more detail about what tribes were where and what they were doing, but unfortunately there weren't. Um, so chapter two takes a deeper look at um, the three elements that make the guru. We start with the breeds and the auspices. So breed is whether you are born as a human or as a a wolf, or if you are born as the child of two vampires, which makes you a uh, what they call a metis or metis. Sorry, two yeah. Two werewolves. Sorry, yeah, two uh-huh. werewolves. Um, and that is against the laws of the werewolves. And so you uh, you are you are cursed. And the auspice is what phase of the moon you are born under, which makes you either a warrior or a bard or a judge or uh, a mystic or the the sort of of arch- archetypical uh, trickster type. Um, I don't know if there's anything here you want to talk about. I mean, this is all. Uh, stuff that I already knew, and so for me, there's nothing new here, and it's it's kind of difficult for me to to really assess it. I don't know if you have any comments here. 
Uh, well, I, uh, I I liked it again. It's it's well written. I I do like the fact that they they talk about um, both waning and waxing uh, faces of the moon. Uh, and through the wonders of internet, I I looked up the which face uh, <laughs> I was born under, and it was a. Uh, let me see. It it was a a veining gibbous moon, which which makes me a galliard, which is one of the uh, kind of again warrior poets. I don't know how much of that is true. Uh, and if I'm born on a waning moon, I'm supposed to be uh, enamored of darkness <laughs> and violence. And considering considering that I have a podcast about the uh, the Dark Ages vampire, I don't know that that might be true. Um, but but yeah, in, in general. I think it's very well written, and like you, you, you catch a lot of these the different um, aspects of of werewolf mythology in a way. Like for example, you have the like you mentioned the the tricksters, the tri- trickster aspect of it, because uh, sometimes um, uh, werewolves since they they are. Um, meant to be intelligent or at least more intelligent than normal wolves because they they are they are after all a person uh, so that makes sense and uh, and and you get a different again some in in some ways more hollywood kind of uh, stereotypes with with uh, um werewolf being the warriors and and not necessarily just wolves running around uh, i really do like the whole uh wolf or werewolf should not breed with werewolf aspect of it uh and it's one of the the 10 rules that they have as well and i think it might be the first one even which shows how important it is um and because basically you you get the the inbreeding uh supercharge if two werewolves Mm. uh mate uh which which is interesting and and then you are shunned from society if you aren't killed outright at birth, um, and and but but you're basically just picked on and bullied for the rest of your life, um, and I think that would actually be kind of perhaps not for a long game, but but for a shorter uh, chronicle, uh, it it could be interesting to play a character like that. If you play it kind of like the Dwarven Slayers from, ah. from the Warhammer role-playing game, uh, where where you had the the Dwarven Slayers uh, are are dwarves who have brought shame upon themselves, uh, dishonor not only themselves but their cows as well, uh, and so to make up for this, they have to die an honorable death. Uh, but if you're a a dwarf warrior. That's kind of hard to do because you're you're a fucking kick-ass <laughs> badass warrior. So you have to go around and and fight dragons or trolls or demons or or like just something huge. And and the tragedy is kind of like they they're so good at fighting that that they never find someone who is badass enough to kill them. Um, and and I think that could be like a. Uh, an an interesting way to play a metis if if you play one in that yeah of course i know i deserve death because i'm a freak of nature but my death needs to mean something uh and and wasting the the life uh, or the the opportunity to do something good for for the werewolf society by just killing myself or 
being killed by puny mortals that would bring even more shame upon me so i need to like fight a, a, a demon host or whatever um, which which I think would be interesting from from a role yeah. playing point of view. Uh, incidentally, now you made me want to look up what kind of moon I was born under, and I was born under a waning <laughs> crescent moon. So basically, I would be a theurge, one of the um, one of the spiritual werewolves who are supposed to interact with with the spirits and the spirit world, um, which is kind of interesting given how atheist i am but <laughs> i mean if i knew if i knew that the spirit world existed i would definitely be in be all about that so uh, it, it maybe it, it makes sense also it's waning so it's going towards ragabash who are the tricksters and the the rebels so i i kind of like that <laughs> so uh, if if, if <laughs> yeah. we join together you are the warlike uh, bard and i am the the trickster priest yeah, yeah, I'm I'm waning, so I'm I'm turning towards the, oh, yeah. the philodox, which are the, the, judge. the judges and and uh, uh, the people who are supposed to bring uh, balance and be arbitrary uh, of this. You have studied law, haven't you? Yeah, I have studied law, so that that does make sense. Uh, but okay, so to to all who listen to this, uh, go to our Facebook group. Uh, write what moon you are, moon face you're born under, so that we can see how you uh, how you fit into the uh, into the pack. We uh, we definitely need uh, at, at least one warrior. Yeah, um, <laughs> this is all, so, all uh, very scientific, by the way. Oh yes, hundred uh, percent uh, scientifically um, accurate. So we only have ten tribes presented in this book, since obviously the three American tribes are, well in America. Uh, you have the Bunyip uh, who are in Australia and you have the Stargazers and they haven't moved outside the Far East whereas the Black Spiral Dancers they get mentioned later because they're enemies. Um, the tribes are in general much like they are in modern day with two changes. Uh, the Glasswalkers they are called the Waters of Men and the Getafenris are called the Fenrir. Uh, amusing the, amusingly the Fianna have taken to calling the Fenrir the Getafenris as an insult but many young Fenrir have actually taken up the name as an honorific sort of making it their own once again you know i know the tribes from playing this game a lot reading it so i'd like for you to give me your impression of them from from what you read here yeah uh well i i also kind of knew them from the from what little i had played uh in in the modern setting but uh yeah i i i think overall they they kind of make sense uh, from like a role playing playing perspective and and they're um, they're distinctive enough from each other to warrant their own different tribes. Uh, unlike like we talked in in Mage, wasn't it where where a lot of things were yeah. kind of similar? Uh, there are some aspects of that when it comes to the tribes as well, but I think that. Um, the the big difference is that here the tribe seems to be more uh, connected to a a human culture. So, for example, you had the Fianna, which is was very much tied to to Gaelic culture. And at least if I ever uh, run this game, it would also be to to Finnish culture. Uh, <laughs> and then you have uh, the the Black Furies, which is basically the. Uh, the the Amazons, the, it's it's an all female tribe, uh, and and what what I like about this is that uh, they it's it's not like everyone who is born to a Black Fury is is a a female, uh, but rather that they either kill or give away the male children. So it's it's not like 
you, you could probably technically choose which tribe you would grow into, I guess. Of course, you have the whole kinfolk thing, which is uh, humans and wolves related to werewolves, so you still have some sort of, of kinship to it. But it's it's not like, yes, you were born an elf, so you have all the... Uh, the the monoculture aspects of of an uh, Dungeons and Dragons elf, which means that you have to be good at archery and and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, so so from that from that perspective, I I like what they've done with them. Um, but but at the same time, it's it's very Eurocentric. Uh, so so which is, which is kind of weird because you have ten tribes in Europe, and then you had one one tribe in. Um, in Australia, and you have one tribe that basically has to cover all of Asia, which is mm. it, it doesn't make that much sense. I mean, it 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 works a lot better actually for for Dark Ages werewolf than for modern day because Dark Ages werewolf is so focused on Europe. So so here, you know, it you, you don't have to worry that much about it. But yeah, you're right. In modern times, it it comes off as as a bit um a bit problematic being that eurocentric yeah and and there are like for example you have the bone gnorers who are are basically the very often the they're kind of the beggars and and the the outcasts of uh, both werewolf and and mortal society so you have the the, the beggars and the the thieves probably uh, but then you have the warders of men who are also very much tied to to human society because they they ward the men uh, and they they like citizen progress at least if it's used properly and doesn't um, interrupt the whole um, Gaia thing the the nature that that uh, werewolves are supposed to fight for uh, but I'm thinking like couldn't these two be the same tribe but like different classes or or different parts of the same tribe i don't know it's it, it, it i don't care so to speak that there are two different tribes but is it really necessary to to divide them um and i don't have an answer yeah. for that but it's just a thought that that came up um but but yeah we have uh, the different basically you have the tribes that are very much noble warriors we have the tribes that are very much Less noble warriors. We have the healers <laughs> in the Children of Gaia. Um, we have, of course, the, the Viking werewolf in the Fenrir, um, and we have the Red Talons, which I think are are cool in some ways because they're they're amongst the most. Would feral be a good word to describe the the Red Talons? Um, or the, Mo- the the ones that are mostly in touch with the with the wolves. Yeah, but be- Maybe. because most know. of them are born in the wolf form, so so they're basically almost never in the human form. Um, but then we have an interesting thing, in, and that is that uh, each tribe have a tribal totem, uh, and so you have the bone norse that have the uh, the the rat, and you have the fenrir, which of course have the great fenris uh, as their uh, their totem which in, in a way is kind of weird because the Fenris wolf was a uh, was basically a source of destruction. He, he was supposed to eat the sun, and that to me doesn't really go uh, 
like that that's kind of opposite the werewolves that are supposed to protect nature and protect the world from the destructiveness of the virm um which yeah they i think they they've talked about this later um i think this is a case of the earliest times they the first time they they made it people not doing that much research you see it also with like um with the vampire where the the followers of set uh, and their obsession with snakes doesn't really match with what we know about the god suit mm-hmm. and it's just a case of of making you know not having done the the right uh, research so here they basically went with well we have some viking werewolves what wolves do we have in viking mythology are ah, we have fenris but then later they've uh, sort of justified it by saying that hum- uh, the Fenrir obviously they are they they didn't like humans because the werewolves uh, originally didn't like humans, so hum- humans created this mythology that uh, vilified Fenris. Uh. So so that's their sort of what what can you call sort of their author saving throw is saying humans remember when the Fenrir were killing humans off so when they created their mythology they made fenris the ultimate enemy which is also why it's it's mentioned a number of times that the fenrir really doesn't like odin worshippers and and oh, see odin yeah, okay. as their big enemy yeah that's that's uh, it's it's not a very historical explanation but but i guess <laughs> it makes sense in in context so yeah yeah okay they they get a pass for me on that one however back to the red talons uh, which mm. is a tribe that is very much described as as not necessarily shunning human society, but just not being a part of it, since, since most of them are wolf-born, which means that they can barely speak human speech if they haven't been taught it, and they, pants aren't really their thing. Uh, their, their tribal totem is the griffin, uh, and the griffin is very much a again a, a human invention. It's it's not natural like the cockroach or the falcon that the other tribes have, but it's it's something completely thought of by humans. Uh, and I don't know if they have a, a similar kind of justification for that, but to me, it's just weird, especially since I don't really uh, connect the. Uh, what do you call it? Not aspects, but but a kind of the the personality of the griffin. I don't really connect that to uh, tribal wolves that much. So that one makes even less sense to me. Yeah, I don't know if there's any justification because I've I've obviously uh, read a, a lot more about the Gerafenris, being that they are the Viking werewolves <laughs> that I have about the Red Talons. Yeah. Red Talons never interested me that much. So so there might be, and if any of our listeners happen to be werewolf experts, perhaps you can explain to us the the sort of relationship between Griffin and the the Red Talons. Yeah, please do. Uh, I I'd love to hear about it. Um, then then the next one that we have are the the shadow lords which again was more sneaky like uh warriors and and um i i don't know if it's if it's just me over interpreting things but they're they're supposed to be more of an eastern european and and kind of uh arabic stock the the character portrait is a a female or a woman who very much looks like the the classical kind of uh, a thousand and one nights Shahrazad kind of uh, stereotypical uh, Arabic princess, 
which is kind of unfortunate since the Shadow Lords are kind of described as the backstabbers of of werewolf society. Mm. Again, that might not be what they were going for, but it again, it has some unfortunate implications. Uh, then we come to the Silent Striders, which are... Oh, those are one of my absolute favorites, by the way. Yes, uh, because they, they are basically the... Uh, and and feel free to jump in at any time if if my noobiness <laughs> has uh, uh, misunderstood something. But they're they're kind of the the Egyptian uh, Northern African uh, tribe of werewolves. Uh, they have apparently been thrown out of of Egypt and Africa, so they they're kind of the wanderers of um, of werewolf society. And and they're it's mentioned that they're kind of mistrusted since they. Uh, one don't stay in the same place. Uh, they they don't have the territory as as werewolves are want to do, and also that they don't travel in packs. Uh, but as I mentioned, like from from a werewolf point of view, being the lone wolf, being cast out of society, does kind of make sense. Um, and they they are mentioned that. Um, that or it's kind of obvious that they're supposed to have some kind of of uh, connection to uh, to Anubis, uh, the mm. the Egyptian god of death, uh, and th- this is gonna be such a tangent, and I completely understand if if people uh, <laughs> tune out, uh, but uh, Anubis is most often he's he's described as as the jackal headed god, which. Yeah in some ways is a misnomer because the the ancient egyptian called him uh, a, a dog-headed god and and one of his names is the the dog who swallows millions uh, because he eats the unworthy dead or something like that or at least their their souls um as as, as being a dog person uh, i i know that there's there's a breed of dogs and the only reason i know this is because i i used to have one called the basenji uh, which are a really cool breed of dogs because they're they're literally thousands of years old as a breed, which is quite unusual. Mm. Most of the dogs we see today are only a few hundred years old, um, not the individuals, the, the, the breeds, um, unless there are some immortal dogs out there, which would be kind of cool. <laughs> um, but the, we, we know that the, these were around in at the time of ancient Egypt and, and that uh, dogs were a favored animal of the pharaohs. And, and we know that uh, the Basenji or the precursor to the Basenji were given as, as gifts to the nobility of, of ancient Egypt. Uh, so there are some people, and I have to admit that most of the, these people are people who own Basenjis, uh, claim that... that uh, that Anubis isn't a, uh, a jackal-headed god, but a Basenji-headed dog. Uh, and a, if you look at the kind of shape of the skull of uh, or the head of a jackal and a Basenji, yeah, it's I, I'd say that the Basenji, because they're more lean and they have pointier ears and, and not as, as scruffy a, a fur or as, as a jackal, yeah, it, it could make sense, but... Uh, again, it's it's very much a biased audience who who um, who wants it to be that way. Uh, but in a role playing game where you can do whatever you want, uh, it it could be. And and again, going back to the fact that that Anubis is called the dog headed god or or the dog that swallows millions. Uh, 
I I don't know. It it could be fun uh, if you have like an urban um, an an urban silent strider who is is running around as a cute little dog instead of of this. <laughs> uh, especially if he's one of the uh, the ragabash the the trickster auspice, um, which again could be fun and. Yes, I'm only mentioning it because I used to have a Basenio. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the the um, the backstory of the the Silent Stratus is quite interesting because it's tied in very much with the followers of of Set, uh, where it's actually them who made this huge ritual that cut the um, the Silent Stratus off from not only their um, their ancestors but also their ancestral land. So th- there's a whole thing with that, which is is kind of funny. Yes, I I agree, and uh, and and again, I li- I liked the uh, the whole um, like again from a role playing perspective, having roaming werewolves makes a bit more sense than just being people who stay in the one place. Um, so and and then we have the next tribe we have is the Silver Fangs, which are um, are are supposed to be the proudest and most noble of of tribes, and they. Uh, they know their the lineage back to basically forever, I guess. Uh, and mm. uh, of, of course, they they argue with the Shadow Lords, and I guess they argue with basically everyone else, if I understand things correctly. <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah, again, it's uh, they they are kind of if if I understand things correctly, they're kind of the Ventru or the the uh, of of werewolf society yeah if, yeah they're 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 the ventru to the shadow lords uh, la sombra basically yeah yeah so so yeah i i think that the reason that and and correct me if i'm wrong there were 13 tribes in the first version of werewolf yeah the, the, uh, the modern day one has 13 tribes yeah. plus then the black spiral dancers as the enemy yeah which kind of corresponds very much to the 13 clans of yeah uh, and and it's not a one-for-one one comparison obviously uh, and and one of the things i do like is that they it, it's not just like the werewolf versions of uh, the vampire clans but it's quite obvious that like yeah like you said that if you if you enjoy playing a la sombra have you tried or or have you considered the shadow lords and <laughs> And and so 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 it's it's quite obvious the the kind of audience that they're going for with the different tribes. Um, next we have the Warriors of Men, which are the the kind of uh, more more civilized or or more uh, humane or at least connected to humanity tribe, where they they are the ones who uh, who think that that society and progress, or at least technological progress. Uh, could be useful in the fight against the evil black spiral dancers. Um, mm. For some reason, you need a, a staff with a ring with three other rings on it. I don't know how <laughs> that works, but apparently it does. Um, and I, again, I think it's uh, from from both like a storytelling perspective and a a role playing just to make things work perspective. I think it's nice that you have. Uh, at least two tribes that are somewhat connected to uh, to to the urban society or the urban side of of human society because I'm I'm guessing that it's if you play a lot of werewolves and most of it is running around in the countryside or in the wilderness 
at some point you're probably gonna want some uh, some some variation to that and having a werewolf tribe with connection to to cities and and other places where humans dwell it makes sense because then you can switch it up a bit mm, yeah exactly uh, and they also i mean i i i like the urban um the urban werewolves myself i i find them quite interesting for a number of reasons including that they are that different yeah yeah exactly so so you don't have just 10 tribes of of ba- basically different shape of dog and then you you have a bit more to work with yeah i agree with yeah but but yeah, those those were the tribes. Were I was I completely out of was I confusing no, no. Or, or did I get anything wrong? No, I, I I think I think you hit them hit them spot on. I mean, the thing with the the tribes is that a lot of them fit very neatly into the the medieval or dark ages, if you want to call that mold. The ones that really needed a, a, a huge change were obviously what were called the glass walkers in modern day, now the waters of men. And the bone gnaws needed a, a, a little bit of, of fiddling. But because they were, the werewolves are supposed to be these defenders of of nature and you're at a time where there's a lot more nature than there is today, yeah. I feel that they didn't have to do that much change to to make it all fit. Um, so moving on to chapter three, this is character creation with new abilities, backgrounds, powers, thorks. Uh, starting with abilities, there's some weirdness here because they want to keep the standard character sheet layout with 10 abilities per category. So leadership gets moved to skills from talents for no explained reason, uh, making way for a talent called primal urge, which is the animal instinct talent, you know, what what animals use to to assess their their surroundings and what you need to shapeshift stuff like that. Um, leadership then takes the place of the commerce skill, with the explanation being that it, this is very rare for Guru to possess, and I think that makes sense. You know, you can still buy it if you have a character that would have commerce, which is most likely going to be a water of men because they say that you go through your first change at puberty, so it would be extremely rare for most humans to have learned anything about commerce at puberty yeah so yeah. so i it, i think it makes sense to to switch that one out among knowledges theology and sinitial are dropped making way for enigma and rituals having enigmas and rituals makes sense and i can see why theology is less important for guru since their beliefs are covered by rituals so again like with commerce you can always buy it if you want to but it doesn't have to be one, one of the ones on the character sheet but sinitial you know that could easily be adopted to maintaining a can. Uh, one thing that's strangely absent is cosmology, which was in Dark Ages Mage. And since the Guru can freely enter the spirit world, I think it would make sense that they would be able to learn about this. But of course, this is all minor stuff that can easily be changed around if if you disagree with what happens. So I don't know if you have any comments here. Yeah, well, I, I agree with what you said about commerce and stuff like that, because like wolves don't need monies. They have claws. Uh, but... What doesn't really make sense is that leadership is a skill. And, and for those who don't know, uh, the, a, a talent is, is something that it comes very natural to a person and a skill is something that you have to be taught. And considering how much focus is put on the whole werewolf pack with, with hierarchies and leaders, it I, I see the need like from from a game design perspective to move or to make room for the for the primal urge but it doesn't really make sense that that the 
and and again with with the whole alpha thing with um idea or ideology going on behind it that that yes i'm i'm going to be a member of a pack and i'm going to be the leader of it but being a leader doesn't come naturally to me so i have to learn it i don't know it am i am i making a bit too big of a thing of this or no, no, I, I think it, like the, 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 it seems to be that they had to move something, yeah. and then they moved leadership, and it, it, they, they don't make any explanation as to why for werewolves it is something that doesn't come natural to them, but it comes natural to everyone else. It, yeah, I, I don't understand it. Yeah, but, but if, uh, if you don't have anything else there, I think we can move on to backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, please do. <laughs> They, uh, they've obviously dropped some from vampire-like generation and status, and a whole bunch of new ones have been added. Most of them are the same as in modern uh, times. We have ancestors, fetish, kinfolk, purebreed, rites, and totem. And then they have a new one called hunting ground. This is the guru uh, domain background, like chapter house for inquisitors and um, well, domain for vampires. Only in this case, I don't think it works as well as it does for vampires, mages, and inquisitors. I don't think you get as much out of having this background as you do for the others. And with all Guru being members of a sept which has a cairn, having your own territory seems seems less important. And it, it seems strange for a, a pack to have like their own hunting ground sort of separate from the, the sept and the cairn. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm making my point quite clear here but it's just it seems odd to me yeah yeah i i get what you're saying uh but and and, and yeah it, i i think you can make sense of it from kind of saying like yeah uh this whole area belongs to our sept and to the tribe uh as as a whole but this this kind of this neighborhood belongs to this pack um in a way, so like, kind of like the, the different children have different rooms in the same house. If you get my my point, like, yeah. Uh, so, so from that, it it does make sense, but I don't really know if it's useful. Is it, is kind of my take on it, uh, and I think we can are kind of on the same level uh, when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, as for the other backgrounds, I don't really have any comments here. I mean, they they. You end up with a lot of backgrounds, and there you you might at some point think, okay, with all these backgrounds, do I really have points for for anything else? But it 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 is what it is. They werewolves tend to have a, a lot of backgrounds for you to throw uh, throw points at. Yeah, and and that's actually one of the things that I remember from from the few times I played uh, werewolf is just the overabundance almost of of backgrounds, and and that it's kind of hard to create a character uh, that fits a, a certain uh, concept because you you're gonna be lacking in in backgrounds one way or the other and or if you spend a lot of freebie points on it you're gonna be lacking in a different area so I don't know if they could have streamlined it or or if they could have made the backgrounds cheaper or something uh, but yeah I, I completely agree with with there being a lot of them um, and mm-hmm. and as another kind of side note, uh, you have the, uh, the the fetish. Like for those who don't know, it's it's fetish in uh, in the kind of magical sense that it's it's a magic item that you use for it. And for me, this uh, it it kind of um, not solidifies, but it kind of pushes werewolf into being more of a 
a fantasy game uh, as compared to to the other to mage and and vampire at least that it it feels like the the fact that they put so much uh, emphasis on magic items that it it's actually part of your character creation it's something that you can spend spend resources on to to have access to uh, I don't know if, if you would need that for for a vampire or or anything else, and uh, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's one of the things that kind of makes Werewolf different from the other World of Darkness games, and I I just don't know if if it's for me or like it. Like I said, it's it's not a bad thing, but it's it's not very much Will of Darkness to me, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Mm. I mean, it, I I like this this whole idea about how it it works with uh with, with it being a um what's the name a spirit caught in um caught in a uh, in a physical form. Yeah. I mean, I like that that approach to sort of the uh, the the magical item. Yeah, yeah. From from like from that perspective and and the kind of game mechanics, I I don't have anything bad to say about it. But but again, it's it's just one of those things that that make Werewolf be more of a a fantasy, almost hack and slash game compared to the more horror and darkness of of the vampire and and in some ways the rest of the world of darkness. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can I can definitely uh, I can definitely see the. Uh the point there. We we then have merits and flaws, and there's a good selection with one flaw that I especially love, which is called the Devil's Own. This is for hominids who have grown up with stories about werewolves being evil monsters, and now you believe that you are a monster. I think this is very thematic, given the kind of world that most humans are brought up in. So so this one was something that, you know, that really really uh, resonated with me, because I, I, I like the approach that yeah, if you are a mortal who's been raised Christian, then you're going to be absolutely horrified about becoming a a, a werewolf. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, and but doesn't that flaw kind of requires your character to still be Christian in some way, though? Which which isn't yeah, but, a bad thing. It's just I am thinking um, uh, about it from a role playing perspective. Well, yeah, either you know Christian or possibly go totally uh over the border and become a hardcore satanist and say oh well <laughs> satan has chosen me to be a monster so i must be a monster it's just that, oh, yeah, that yeah. if you're if you've spent 13 years being raised a christian and then all of a sudden you turn into a werewolf and you're told that no 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 no, god doesn't exist uh you have to worship gaia the the earth mother and there are all these spirits and stuff like that it's going to be a bit weird for you to reconcile that with what everyone in your life has been telling yeah. you for the last 12, 13, 14 years. Yeah, yeah. When you put it at like that, yeah, I, I agree with it. it. It does open up for some, for the possibility of some really fun role-playing. Yeah. But otherwise, like, you know, the, the merits and flaws, as always, there's a lot of take it or leave it. There, This was the only one that really stood out to me. Yeah, I, there wasn't really anyone that, that stood out to me. Uh, again, probably because I haven't played this game that much, or I haven't played the, the game that much, so I don't know what makes sense or, or what would be uh, uh, like good or bad. Uh, they they seem to run the whole uh, range from from like 
useful and powerful to just fun and and uh, yeah like having having a uh, just having fun with it like you can you can smell bad you can also smell really nice uh, you you can <laughs> uh, you can not smell at all uh, which i don't know uh, that would probably I, I think that would probably freak out a lot of animals and possibly also oh, other yeah. um, uh, other uh, werewolves uh, but, but again it's it's fun and you can play around with it and and some of it makes uh, uh, a lot of sense uh, I'd, I'd love to see a, perhaps I missed one like if if you have uh, if you're in a shape that that has a tail you kind of wag it like a dog if you're excited or something like that would be kind of fun <laughs> or you can just role play that but but yeah it's overall I it's it's uh, it's good uh, good enough and it, you have a lot of work with when you're creating your character yeah, and, and also the all of the mirrors and flaws tied to scent or or other things, it drives home the point that you know other senses are more important than they are for humans. So it's 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 even if you don't take them, it's a nice way to remind you that as a werewolf, you have forms where scent becomes much more important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we end with a smattering of rules for various mechanics, rage, gnosis, stepping sideways into the spirit world, frenzy, delirium, renown, rank, combat, and shape-shifting. All things that, if you already know werewolf, you know about them, and if you don't know werewolf, we don't really have to explain too much about it. It's it's just things that make up uh, the werewolf character. Um, I only have two comments here, one being that I, I kind of missed the extensive table of renown awards from the modern day book. Uh, it had a, I think it was either a one or a two page full spread, I think it was two page, for a lot of various situations of gaining renown. And I, I, I just like having that here, you get like, I think it's what, is it a half or two thirds page of possible rewards for uh, renown rewards. So I, I would have loved to see more of that. Um, I love the special maneuvers and the pack tactics it makes sense that being shapeshifters with claws and um and teeth werewolves have other combat maneuvers than using weapons and obviously since they are a pack and wolf packs are renowned for their ability to coordinate and work together you would have these pack tactics so i think that's a, a really good thing to have here yeah i i agree it's uh it, it, in one way, it shows how different the werewolves are, uh, and and also they, they kind of push the not necessarily the, the wolfiness of them, but at least the how you uh, imagine werewolves to be uh, mm. kind of way on it, uh, which which I like. Uh, we we kind of established established that this game. Uh, doesn't have that much to do with historical werewolf myths, which isn't a bad thing, yeah. but it's it's a different thing. Um, and uh, yeah, the the whole uh, the the gnosis and the renown and the glory and everything like that. When when I was reading it, I I realized that I I was kind of zoning out because, like, yeah. it, and and we've talked about this with with other systems as well that. It, it comes a point to where it's it's too much for a beginner to keep track of so you probably want a as a storyteller that can help you out with this or, or at least like a sheet sheet or something uh, because I I was having trouble just remembering what did like what's the difference between a um, 
a rage and a frenzy or between glory and honor and and things yeah. like that and and of course you can just look it up in the book but it uh, yeah it's a lot of it uh, which isn't always a good thing yeah and and obviously that wasn't something that i picked up on because i've played werewolf enough for me to have internalized that so it's it's a good point to make for someone who hasn't played werewolf all that much that yeah there is a lot of information here as there there will always be yeah. in these books um but i think they do a lot of cramming it together where um, it's probably easier for people who don't have to read this the way we do because <laughs> I, I always refer to this as my homework yeah. because we have to read up on this book to do the podcast. So so you kind of sit down and, okay, I read through this so that I can talk about it. And sometimes you just go, whoo, I'm going to need a break here. And, and, yeah, and if, like me, you tend to procrastinate, you don't always have time for that break. <laughs> yeah, and, and I see it as a good sign that, that you didn't even react to the fact that there are all of these different things, which means that from a game design point of view, they did something correct, because if you just play the game enough, uh, you, you're going to internalize everything and just think that, hey, yeah. everything makes sense. So... Uh, that that seems to be a plus on on the game design aspect of things. Yeah. Okay. So obviously we cannot judge this book fully before we finished it. But there's something I want to touch on, or rather expand on, because we've already touched on it um, before we end. Where Vampire the Masquerade took a lot of things from vampire stories. Uh, admittedly, they took a lot from modern vampire stories, but they also took a lot from from original vampire myth. Werewolves. They they took quite a different tech with the guru being the creations of Gaia made to fight for her and to fight for this um, ideal Gaian world, which it really doesn't have any parallel in historic werewolf sources. Now it fits very well with a modern day campaign, um, especially at the time when the original werewolf was made, where you had a, a groundswell of support for um, for uh, ecological causes and, and fighting for the planet. Yeah. But um, it feels a bit strange in the Dark Ages setting. Vampires always had an, I guess you could call it, Abrahamic approach to its lore, to its history. Hunter got changed into Inquisitor, and Mage also saw a pretty big change from modern-day Mage. But Werewolf got, quote-unquote, translated pretty much straight... And I don't think the backstory and cosmology really fits with the the Dark Ages world as presented, especially since uh, Werewolf is supposed to mix in with the rest of the yeah. game, so Vampire, Inquisitor, and Mage. I, I don't know if I'm making my point here. Well, I think what I'm saying is that if the Werewolf cosmology is true, then it can fit with Mage, but it really doesn't fit with Vampire and Inquisitor at all. And thematically, I don't think it meshes well with the medieval world i don't know if i'm, no, I'm no, making I'm, sense I'm, with I'm what i'm trying to say point here and I'm, I'm kind of on the same tracks uh, and it goes back a bit to to what i talked about with with the fetish uh, thing that that it's kind of a different game which doesn't have to be a bad thing like i i liked it uh, and but but it feels like uh, a different breed of sheep uh, mm. or or dog uh, in this case but, but <laughs> yeah, I, it's it it it's very much a you've made a game not from historical sources but from from kind of the, a, a vision of 
of of how we want it to be and then we try to cram it into the historical or at least somewhat historical setting of of vampire the dark ages and or and mage and, and those others which makes it kind of stand out and it it doesn't I, again i don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing but it it kind of makes me wonder if it shouldn't be more of its own game um, yeah exactly which, which from kind of like a a publishing point of view i understand it they can't really do because it's come on it's the world of darkness and they have the 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 three big the vampires the werewolf and the and the majors um but it's you you need to work a bit more i think to like either embrace it and just go like yeah this is a completely different setting it's it could be like just come up with something it's it's a different timeline or it's a uh, it's a parallel universe where some things are just slightly different or whatever and you can make it work um and which which also allows for a lot of freedom when when designing your game so it's i'm not saying that it's a bad thing but it's a different thing um because like some or or like the 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 werewolf mythology that we have, the historical stuff, is is kind of limited. You do have the people turning into wolves. That's basically what you do. We we do have mm. some aspects of of people being half wolves. Like for example, uh, again in the in the Swedish folklore, uh, a lot of the people turned back from uh, from being a wolf. Uh, it's often described that they would still have their tails, uh, which I don't know that. Perhaps that could be a flaw that that you have still have a tail even in, in your human form, um, yeah. But so so you, like you you can play with things like that. You for example the um, Islam is often uh, and unfortunately in sometimes in derogatory terms uh, called a uh, a moon religion because you have you have connections mm. to kind of the, the things that the the folklore that would be incorporated into islam is sometimes connected to the moon which i think that yeah a, a christian werewolf would probably not uh, be able to reconcile their christian faith with being a werewolf but what about a a, a muslim werewolf and the, the connection to the moon like the, the the symbol of Islam is the crescent, the, the crescent moon. So yeah. you could you could probably do th- something like that. But again, this game is a bit too Eurocentric. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, I I understand because if you take if you take the classic werewolf myths from especially the Middle Ages, mm. it's going to be very difficult to create a role playing game yeah. around that it's it's going to be very difficult to make a game where you play that. I mean, if you look at other, um, especially modern occult games that have tried to incorporate werewolves, um, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is um, the Unisystems. I think it's called Witchcraft. Their system, uh, quite interesting, actually. Mm. They also had werewolves, and they also had them as these sort of tribal shapeshifters who could control their shapeshifting. So I understand why they had to change it the way they did. Um, and obviously, once we finish the book, we'll talk about how playable it is and stuff yeah. like that. But but so so I it, it's not that I'm saying that they shouldn't have done that. It's just that it kind of clashes with the... Um, with the, the medieval setting yeah. that they're presenting here. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, there are things actually that, that could kind of work uh, that, or, or at least 
at least in in later periods because um there uh, and and I don't know if I, we can talk about this more later on but uh one thing that we actually haven't mentioned is that werewolves aren't only shapeshifters in this setting you also have no. basically where insert animal here uh, which mm. uh, in in some ways is kind of interesting because you also have other folklore about people changing into different animals. Uh, they they kind of solved the overabundance of uh, or avoided overabundance of um, mm. of these different shapeshifters by by saying that there was a, a war where the werewolves basically killed off most of the other shapeshifters, and then all of the other shapeshifters hate them, which. From again, from a design point of view, that makes sense. Uh, but there, there are some historical aspects that you could throw in there to, if, if you wanted to, to make this game work. Um, one, one of the things that I found when when researching this was that, again, Scandinavian Sweden, we have uh, the the Sami people who who lived up in north, in in the north, uh, and and they are the indigenous people of that area of of Sweden and Norway and Finland. And then as time went on, you started getting settlers from the south, basically farmers and peasants uh, who, who would kind of encroach on their lands and they would start uh, tending the forests and stuff like that. So there, there are quite a lot of, of stories about how the different uh, cultures clashed. Uh, and what, what I think was interesting is that uh, the, the Sami, who and again we're talking later periods but you could easily just include it even in a medieval setting uh, the Sami tended reindeers uh, and so they were very protective of, of the reindeers they would accuse uh, the settlers from the south of for, of turning into wolves because wolves eats reindeer uh, and the the settlers would accuse the Sami of turning into bears because bears eat the the sheep and the cattle of the settlers, uh, so you and so right there you have the kind of werewolf versus uh, werebears kind of conflict that you could easily uh, include, uh, and and it also in a way shows the kind of civilization versus. Well, they're not uncivilized people, but but kind of like the, the settlers against the people who already live there, um, and and these just as again as a side note to a side note because I think it's a fun story. Uh, <laughs> one of the ways that you could figure out that someone was a, a shapeshifter was there is the story about uh, a a Sami was in in the story I read he was called a, a shaman more or less, uh, and it, it was kind of it was known that he would shift into a bear. And that he would kill uh, sheep for people, uh, and but they could never catch him. But at, at one point, they they managed to track uh, the bear to the hut of, or the bear tracks to the hut of of the uh, of the Sami uh, of the shaman. Uh, and when they went into the hut, they found uh, a human. They, they found him in his human form, sleeping there. And they were like, they were they woke him up and started accusing him of things. And when he he opened his mouth to reply and curse them out, basically they saw that he had uh, pieces of sheep wool stuck between his teeth, <laughs> uh, so that they knew that yeah, obviously he he had turned into a a bear and and eaten them. So busted. Yeah, exactly. And and th- there are a lot of like almost humorous ways like that 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 werewolves are being caught 
uh, which which again I just think is is kind of fun from from like a folklore aspect of things that that the, the things that people told each other back then that was just crazy and fucked up in a lot of ways. <laughs> so. Next time we'll finish off Dark Ages Werewolf. Uh, remember, if you want to support this channel, we do have a Patreon. And if you have comments, suggestions, or critique, or if you want to post what moon phase you were born under, you can pop by our Facebook page. And with that, Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? No. Well, just as usual, I want to thank all our all, all of our wonderful listeners to, for being with us on this journey, and especially the ones on Patreon, uh, who, uh, for one of the things they did was uh, they allowed me to buy a proper microphone so that you can hopefully hear me <laughs> properly. Uh, <laughs> and, and just in general, I hope that everyone has a wonderful time. Yeah. And so, it is goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell, and see you next time. Bye!